Uh, and it's the reason why you see pastures that are grazed down super tight all throughout the year is because um, we don't have oftentimes the fundamental understanding that plant recovery is absolutely essential in order to have not just meet a sustainable goal, but actually to regenerate that pasture and bring it back to a level, level of higher productivity. In this episode, we make the acquaintance of the National Center for Appropriate Technologies newest regenerative livestock specialist, Justin Morris. Justin may be new to NCAT, but he's no stranger to the topic of using grazing as a tool to improve pasture quality and soil health. In this interview with NCAT program specialist Tracy Mumma, Justin explains how he first became interested in managing grazing to improve the land resource, and he discusses how livestock producers can start using grazing as a tool. He goes on to describe what regenerative agriculture means to him and the positive effect that it can have on soil health, on environmental health, and on producer well-being. Let's listen. I'm Tracy Mama, a program specialist with the National Center for Appropriate Technology, also known as NCAT. I'm excited to be here today with a new NCAT uh, program specialist, a regenerative agriculture specialist, Justin Morris. Welcome to NCAT, Justin. Thank you, Tracy. It's great to be on board. In addition to working at NCAT, I also have a diversified livestock operation in Western Montana. And I first met Justin about 10 years ago when my family attended a workshop that he was giving on improving your grazing management. That workshop was really a pivotal point in our operation because it made us realize that grazing could be a tool to actually improve the health of our pastures and the health of our soil. So I've been working with Justin, our family's been working with Justin for almost 10 years now off and on. And it has really been a, a crucial point in, in our operation and in changing the way we do things. So although Justin is new to NCAT, he is not new to grazing. And that made me wonder, Justin, when did you first start getting interested in, in improving the way grazing was done? And, and wh where was that and how did, how did you start in this? Thank you, Tracy. And um, thank you for, for those comments uh, previously. Uh, in, in answering your question, it kind of started for me as uh, right after I left my after I finished my master's degree in range and forest science at the University of Nebraska. Uh, so this was back in 2003. And I had gone through uh, kind of the standard range coursework where we're, you know, planning grazing management uh, on, uh, you know, large scale ranches, 10,000 acre, 20,000 acre places. And most of the coursework and everything in my experience while going through my master's degree was focused on um, very land extensive operations. And uh, it wasn't until after I got out of graduate school, um, I was uh, still uh, applying for jobs and uh, trying to figure out which way I was gonna go for, from an employment perspective. And I came across uh, an announcement, I think it was like in the local uh, agricultural newspaper. And it was about this workshop that was being held in in Southeast Idaho called the Lost Rivers Grazing Academy. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the description of the course kind of captured my attention because it was talking about 
uh, how we can improve grazing management on irrigated land and being able to really ramp up forage production on the irrigated side, which could be very important for those people that have a lot of either uh, public land uh, grazing allotments, like with the BLM or the Forest Service or state lease, uh, and a lot of ranchers in the West who really heavily rely on public lands for grazing their, their, their cattle in the summertime. Uh, often face uh, reductions in, in the amount of animals that they're allowed to bring on. So that means that, you know, those animals have to go somewhere. And so this workshop was really kind of tailor-made to improving production on the deeded base of a ranching operation and specifically on the irrigated pasture side of things. And that really intrigued me because in my uh, range training when I was uh, in, uh, at the university, we didn't really get into anything on irrigated pasture or, you know, um, more intensive forms of management on either high precip or irrigated pasture. And so I took this course and it was a three-day course. And for me, it was just like uh, a complete, it just blew my mind um, on what could be done in, uh, on an irrigated land base. And, and it all had to do with grazing management. So we're not talking about, you know, adding more fertilizer. We're not talking about, you know, spraying for weeds or anything like that. We're talking about using the animals in a way that can really uh, ramp up the productive capability of the irrigated pasture. A lot of people are interested in who, who don't even have leases, people who may have a a small, a small piece of acreage or a small farm uh, somewhere. They're pretty interested in adding to their stocking capacity as well. Exactly. Exactly. Because usually, you know, your irrigated land base is usually on the small side. Um, you know, a, a typical ranch will maybe only 10% of their land is deeded. And then the other 90% is native range land uh, that they run the animals on during the summer. So that 10% of deeded becomes very, very critical to making their operation uh, function properly. And in the case of, uh, for example, uh, your family's operation where you are completely on irrigated, it's, you know, whatever you can do to be able to improve the health and productivity of that land base, whatever size that it is, is absolutely critical to being able to um, maintain production numbers for the number of animals that you're supporting or be able to actually increase it over time. Sure. Sure. I guess maybe it would be good to talk about some of the things that, that people can do to improve improve their grazing and improve the amount of animals that they can stock on there. Yeah. Uh, so there's there, there's a lot of things that a livestock owner can do. And and to, to talk about that a little bit, I, I'd kind of back up and, and just briefly review what some of those factors might be. So what can a livestock owner control for the animals. So one thing we can control is we can control when animals arrive. So whatever date that is, whether it's April 1st, June 5th, whatever, we can, we can place animals in a location when we want to. We can uh, also keep them there for however long that we are wanting to, depending on the condition of the forage resources that are there and what that can sustain. We can also um, change the size of area that we allow animals to have access to at any given point in time. So we can give them an acre, we can give them five acres, whatever it is, uh, we, can, we, we can essentially put animals closer together 
to focus their animal impact or collective animal impact on an area to, to achieve a desired objective for the landscape, or we can spread them out and give them more area. So uh, we can also change the number of animals that are gonna be in any given spot. So when you start going through all this, there's a lot of things that we can flex and change depending on what we're trying to accomplish and the condition of the forage resources that are there. So what I've, what I, what I've, I've kind of looked at this in a way is kind of the four dimensions of grazing. So you could say grazing in the fourth dimension. So this sounds kind of like we're gonna get into sci-fi sci here a little bit. Yeah. But really what it kind of comes down to is we can control what we call the timing. So when animals show up, we can control the duration. So how long they're there, we can control the frequency, which is how many times they come to the same spot in a given time period. And then we can control the intensity or what I would say stock density, which is really the number of animals per unit area that are on a given a spot for, for, a, for a brief period of time. So we can, we can change all those depending on what the needs of the land are and also the nutritional needs of the livestock. So those, those four dimensions really, um, depending on the context of our environment, you know, if we're in an irrigated uh, situation, then usually we're going to be able to, to uh, come back around to the same spot more frequently because the recovery periods on the forages are usually going to be shorter because water is not a limiting factor. But if we are in semi-arid or arid environments, you know, very dry, you know, 10 inches of precip, uh, then those, uh, that, those recovery periods are going to have to be a lot longer in order for animals to be able to come back through. So the frequency or the number of times that you come through a particular pasture is gonna be a lot less in a very dry environment because we have to allow enough time for plants to be able to regrow. And that's probably, when you get down to it in grazing management, I would say probably the most misunderstood concept is plant recovery. Uh, and it's the reason why you see pastures that are grazed down super tight all throughout the year is because um, we don't have oftentimes a fundamental understanding that plant recovery is absolutely essential in order to have not just meet a sustainable goal, but actually to regenerate that pasture and bring it back to a level, level of higher productivity. Uh, but in order to get plant recovery, it means that you've got to be monitoring how quickly plants are regrowing and you've got to be able to manage the animals in a way so that the plants get an opportunity to grow without having the animals come back every six or seven or 10 days rebiting on them. Everyone that I've worked with that has taken control of the animals to the point where they're essentially like moving the animals on a small migration through their property. So the animals are, you know, compartmentalized in one spot while the rest, the other 98% of the pasture is in a recovery phase. Uh, they start growing way more forage than they were ever used to. And that's because those plants are getting an opportunity to regrow without being rebitten every once a week in an irrigated system. Or if you're in a dryland system where forage is growing much more slowly, you know, maybe the plants are being rebitten, you know, every couple of weeks. Um, so it really depends on the context of your environment that you're operating in and flexing these recovery periods and monitoring that and how quickly 
you can come back to the same spot um, again and again. So let's return to, to a point there. I, I like what you said about it depends on your environment. I think it might also depend on which species you're grazing, whether you have cows or sheep or, or a mixed flock or poultry or, um, so there's really not, uh, this is the right answer, one, one silver bullet grazing plan. It might, it, it will depend on what your environment is and what your animals are. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's where a grazing system is going to look differently from farm to farm to farm. I mean, they're, they're not, there is no boilerplate. There's no, like you say, silver bullet. Um, no one size fits all approach because it's going to depend on, as, as you said, the livestock that, that you have in play, the type of forage resources that you have, um, and the, right down to the species of plants that you have growing. And then it's going to come down to the management level that's in play because it's very different moving animals every two weeks compared to moving animals once a day. And in very, uh, you know, in a small acreage of like 40 acres, it's pretty easy to move animals once a day because you only have to walk about, you know, an eighth of a mile to get to the point to, to move animals. Whereas if you're on several thousand acres, uh, it gets to be a lot more difficult because of the logistics of getting around and, and uh, there's much greater distances that have to be covered. So it, it's really, yeah, it's, it's going to vary all over the place, but that's the, I think that's the beauty behind understanding these four, these four principles, these four dimensions, as I, as I've been calling them, is that you can flex, you can vary those and adapt them to the environment, to the animals, to the management, that is that is in place and that's i think that's the great beauty about it is that we can tailor make this to whoever it is to whatever operation and uh if you're running something that's more intensive where uh and i've and this has been kind of a sticking point where you know i've talked to people about uh doing uh some high density high stock density grazing where we focus the animals in this very small area for a short period of time and sometimes people will say, well, that's way too much work. I don't want to do that. And then I immediately respond, well, I'm not asking you to do that all the time in every place on the farm. Just take one field and take maybe a couple acres. The, the amount of time that it would take you for the, that would hold the sustaining animals for maybe even just a day. And you probably got enough electric fence around the place to just compartment, to, to section off the animals for a day in one area and give that have the animals really focus their impact there and then give that area a little bit of extra recovery and then go back to your standard uh, management on the rest of the farm and then start doing some fence line comparisons and seeing how that area that you treated with more high stock density actually responded and then from that experience then you can start to make plans on how you might be able to see how that would be implemented on the rest of your operation so the beauty of it is, is that if you're using more portable infrastructure, you can vary the size of the paddocks uh, any way you want. When you put in rigid fencing infrastructure that's all permanent, you're kind of stuck with that unless you were to take portable electric fence and then split those up. But the nice thing is, is you know, if you want to take a vacation for a couple of weeks and go someplace, then if you're using completely portable infrastructure, then give the animals a much larger area for the amount of time that you're going to be gone. And uh, it makes it a lot easier. 
rather than when you're just stuck to a very rigid fencing infrastructure and then you're kind of like, you know, hemmed in or forced to move animals in a certain way. You know, actually this more intensive form of grazing management, I mean, it's nothing new. It's been around for actually hundreds of years. I mean, there's been um, over in, um, I think it was Ireland. I mean, they have stonewall fences showing very small paddocks. So they were doing like a time controlled grazing that goes back hundreds of years, but they had stone fences, rock fences. So you're kind of, you know, with the technology at the time of hundreds of years ago, you were kind of limited on what you could do. But now we live in a day and age where, you know, we've got technology to be able to, to, to do a lot of that. And, and that is that is great. I mean, I know it's made a, a big difference for us to be able to move our fences and look at look at how the land is responding to what we're doing. And I, I feel like that might be something that prevents people sometimes from starting this is they think they have to have a perfect system to even begin. But what you're saying is that people can start by doing something and look at how their land responds and then add to it once they, they see what's happening. Exactly. And, I, and that's, the, that's the beauty about it is I'm never going to try to convince anybody to convert their whole operation right at the get-go. I think, I think in order for, for you to be successful with a, um, the nuances of a more intensive system, you need to kind of gain a testimony of it yourself. And the best way to do that is to just trial it on a small area at first and then see the results that come from that. And then you can decide how much you want to do later on. Uh, and interestingly enough, I don't know of anybody that does super intensive management all year round anyway. I mean, and this kind of gets into the aspect that, you know, when, when nature makes major ecological disturbances, she's not doing it all the time in the same place all throughout the year. It's, it's periodic. So with that, this is where the adaptiveness to management comes into play is that, you know, you're not going to be moving animals every single day all throughout the year. I mean, that, 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 would, that would be very difficult to pull off and be very labor intensive. But maybe you do it for two or three months during key parts of the growing season. And you go back to more of a relaxed rotation for the rest of the growing season. So uh, it's really no different than, you know, if we were training for an athletic event, the best way that I'm going to, the, the best way for me to get stronger or faster is to vary the type of training that I'm doing to myself. Otherwise, I start to plateau. And bodies, you know, follow that same principle. The, the, the ecological the, the system, the ecosystem follows the same path. It's the same pattern. Is that if we're always doing the same thing at the same time in the same place every single year, eventually you will plateau out. And the only way that you can plateau and actually bust through that is to vary what you're doing in the same spot. Um, and that's what helps to really start to, to stimulate more change. So I think I'll jump in here and say that if anyone is interested in learning more about how to get started with this, uh, NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program has some great free resources for this that can help you get started. Uh, you can look at our managed grazing tutorial, which is available on the ATRA website, www.atra.ncat.org. You can also visit our regenerative grazing area of our website, which has numerous publications to help you get started on this, including the ATRA Grazing Planning Manual and Workbook, which is a, 
assemblage of, of great resources that, that can help you understand how to plan and how to fence and how to get started with this. And if you have questions and further questions and need technical assistance, you can call the ATRA hotline 800-346-9140 or email Justin, who is available now to provide technical assistance to people. In addition to providing technical assistance on grazing, um, there are some other projects that you're going to be working on in your time at NCAT, Justin. Do you want to talk about some of those other topics that you're going to be covering? Yeah, so I'm getting involved on a soil for water project, um, which is uh, a multi-state project uh, being headed up by NCAT. Um, I've been asked to be part of a team that will be providing uh, technical technical assistance to people who actually enroll in the soil for water program. So uh, right now that program is focused on Texas, but we'll be moving to New Mexico and Colorado here very shortly. Uh, so I will be uh, involved extensively in that. I'm also going to be working with uh, advancing regenerative agricultural practices down here in uh, southeast Idaho. So I am the only NCAT employee that actually lives within Idaho. And so I'm going to be working uh, with various partners and how we can uh, advance different soil health management practices on both cropland and pasture land down here in this part of the state. It's interesting that you, among all the NCAT employees, got the title of regenerative specialist. Um, what, what does that mean to you, the regenerative title? So that's an excellent question, Tracy. So in regenerative, that, that's kind of a newer term for most people. I'd say it's probably kind of the latest in terms. You know, before that was more sustainable. And usually, this is my own opinion, but when we talk about sustainability, or the root word to that is sustain. Uh, sustain, uh, really the, the real meaning of that is to, to maintain, right? To maintain in perpetuity, sure. to keep something going. Uh, but I think regenerative is probably more of a descriptive term of really what we're really trying to get at. Because regenerative or regenerate means that you're taking something from a lower level of function to a higher level of function. So you are putting more life back into it, if you will. And most of our agricultural landscapes, because uh, tradition uh, or any one of the number of other reasons, a lot of cases our, our agricultural systems are in a, in a degraded state. Well, I don't want to necessarily sustain that, but we've got to regenerate that. So we've got to bring it from a level of degradation back up to a, a level that is flourishing. And that, uh, and especially in like that, you know, if we're going to be providing food for 9 billion people by the year 2050, we can't just sustain agricultural production where it's at globally. We actually got to improve it. And to me, that means we've got to regenerate the landscapes that we're farming or ranching so that they can actually be able to, you know, increase their productive capacity. Uh, but it's not just all about yield, um, but it's really also, I think, more importantly about the quality of what's coming from the land. Uh, and that's one thing that I have really focused in on over the last 15 or so years uh, is, is improving the quality of the pasture, of the, uh, the, the diet that those animals are receiving so that the meat quality, the milk quality will be enhanced. 
and also the time that I spend on cropland and working with farmers on in a pure cropping situation, if we can also improve the quality of the yield when we look at from a, a nutrient standpoint of what's actually in that crop. So uh, ultimately, when we talk about regenerating, regenerating the landscape is, you know, my, 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 my title is regenerative livestock. But so I, I, I turn that around saying, well, we're using livestock to regenerate the landscape. Because I think that's, I think really in the long term, Tracy, that's what we need to be busy about doing. Um, and, and we can do it. The resources, the, we have the technology. Uh, NCAT is a wonderful organization that, like Tracy said, has a ton of resources available to be able to help producers all over the nation. And, uh, and then, you know, we're, we're here to, you know, if you want to talk to any of us uh, directly, we can do that too. And uh, we're, that's what we're here for. So ultimately, it's really about touching each one of our lives and making this personal to each one of us and improving our own health and happiness. Because really, isn't that what agriculture is ultimately all about? It's, you know, keeping us regenerated so that we can be with our families and enjoy our families. I think that is a beautiful conclusion. So I think we'll just stop there. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.